Thank you for the invitation to come and meet you all and to uh, see some familiar faces that I don't get to see very often, some that I've known for many years. I always look forward to meeting you. Yes, it's true, I've been uh, involved in missions for quite a while, and I've learned a few things, and I'm still in the process of learning. And I'm quite slow, it seems, to learn those things. Um, So I was challenged with the invitation to come and share about this, and it, it led me to study. I had to do quite a bit of work to prepare to come. <clears throat> but I also very much enjoyed it and realized that I really do need to put more time into this area of learning how to care uh, for the missionaries. So if I'd like to just uh, pray before we go on, if we could bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, we have heard this morning about heaven and about hell and these two places where the souls of men will go. It behooves us to consider it deeply, uh, each one for our own soul, but also the souls around us, in our congregations, in our homes, our children, the generations to come, and then, Lord, those who have never heard, those who live, whom we live around, and our neighbors, uh, there's so many people, Lord, who are ignorant of the righteousness of Christ. There's so many going about establishing their own righteousness. So, Father, help us to uh, walk circumspectly, redeeming the time. And uh, as we consider the eternal uh, souls of men. So, Father, this day we ask you to visit us. Take that which is on my heart this morning and Anoint it with your spirit, Lord, and speak to hearts. Speak to my heart. For your glory and your honor, in Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes we tend to think that missionaries are special people and that they'll have special rewards. And they are special people and they, they will have special rewards, but I believe all of God's children are special. And all of them will have their rewards. If we are faithful. In uh, Ephesians 6 it says. Knowing that whatsoever good thing. Any man doeth. The same shall he receive of the Lord. Whether he be bond or free. Whatsoever good thing. Any man doeth. He shall receive. A reward. Of the Lord. Will some have more rewards than others? Yes, I believe. They will because they've been faithful. They've done, they've taken that which God has given them and have ministered with it. Now you might think that you have never had the opportunity to be a foreign missionary, but that's not, that's not all there is to it. Um, think of Fanny Crosby. Blind from six months going, written thousands of songs, ministered to many, many people, she'll have her rewards. Amen? 
simply because she was faithful in that which God gave her to do. And so while we're looking at specific missionaries this morning, I want us all to know that in every place that you are called, that we are called to, God simply requires faithfulness of following through of that which he has imparted to us, to me, and he will give rewards accordingly. <clears throat> How many of you have ever seen the, uh, the missionary video, Ichao? Not very many. This was, uh, <clears throat> this was <clears throat> a missionary who, who left uh, the States, born in Pennsylvania, in uh, Belleville, Mark Zook, Mark and Glory Zook. In 1984, they left to go to Papua New Guinea to work among the mock people. In 86, he had learned the culture and the language and had translated enough of the Bible that he could share the gospel with them. This man was so passionate that he had such a burden because he saw these old men and women dying without the gospel and he was not able to give it to them. He worked so hard and uh, he presented the gospel in a chronological way to them there. If you ever get the opportunity to see this, this documentary, it's very worthwhile. And there he led that whole village to Christ in a moment's time by the grace of God. And uh, that was in 86. I think I first saw that documentary probably uh, in 89 or something like that. It was inspiring. And that story is a, has inspired many, many people ever since. That was one of the stories that inspired us in mission work. That's one of the stories that inspired the young men that we sent out. I'm thinking specifically of Daniel Keniston. To go and win a tribe for Christ. And I believe that that was also uh, the vision and desire of this young couple, Tim and Cheryl, was to win a tribe for Christ. They were inspired by something. And they went. But it doesn't always work out that way. In fact, most times it just doesn't work that way. Mark Zilk, we I got to know him personally. He spoke at the missions conference in 2011, I believe. And uh, he's a man that I greatly loved. Got to work alongside of him with, in the All Nations Bible Translation Mission Board. And he's such a passionate man. Someone asked, asked him one time, he was doing a, a <clears throat> sharing about the work there, and someone asked him how long it takes to translate the Bible, and he said, depends how much you work on it, probably about 10 years. And then he said, I figured that I could get up to milk cows at 4.30 in the morning, I could get up to translate the Bible at 4.30 in the morning too. And that's the kind of man he was. He died about two months ago. And I grieved when I heard of his death. He was one of my mentors. He was one of those men I looked up to. He's a man who had lots of wisdom. He had spent many years in the field, gone through much difficulty. And <clears throat> today, in that, among the Mok tribe there, there are 
hundreds of ordained men in dozens and dozens of churches in every one of their villages. There's Christians, churches there. I went to Mark's funeral and uh, someone made the mention there that somebody asked Mark one time, why did you stop milking cows to become a missionary? And his answer, again, shows a little bit of what kind of a man this was. He said, I figured there'd be no cows in heaven to welcome me and thank me for milking them. But I said, I I think there will be people there that will thank me for being a missionary. And And at his funeral, his son, who was still in the field, didn't come home for his dad's funeral, which is normal for him. He wrote a letter, and he started this letter, a tribute to his dad, and he mentioned about 20 names of the mock people who had died and gone on to be with the Lord. That's how he began the mission, that, that, that letter. Tribute to his dad's funeral, to his dad's life and death. And he ends, the, ends this letter about five minute long reading, or ten minutes, with the same names that Mark most, that they, that those men are surely there to welcome Mark into heaven. but not all missionaries' stories turn out that way. Many of them just don't turn out that way at all. They're very difficult, very painful. What do we do about those things? What can we find in the Bible about missionaries. Did you ever consider that that uh, Jonah was a missionary? Jonah was one of the few in the Bible that was called to go cross-culturally to be a missionary. Cross-cultural mission work is the most difficult that there is. Jonah, called of God, he went and uh, <clears throat> when God called him, he got off to a bad start, started going the wrong way, got on a boat, on a ship and headed the other direction, but God sent a storm and, and uh, <clears throat> Jonah didn't even try to help when those problems arose, but rather went below deck to sleep. However, he was honest with the crew and told them he was running from God. And uh, they woke him up and, and he confessed that he's, he's the problem. And his theology was correct when he referred to the Lord, the God of heaven, as the creator. And uh, I don't know if he was so discouraged he wanted to die at this time, but he said, throw me overboard and the storm will stop. And they tried their best to row to land. They couldn't get there. And they finally end up throwing Jonah into the sea, and the storm immediately stopped. God had prepared a fish there to swallow this missionary. In his prayer of repentance, Jonah commits himself to the Lord and acknowledges God's <clears throat> God as the Lord, and and uh, whale spits him out again. And God calls him again. This time he heads the right direction. He goes to Nineveh, 
preaches there, begins to walk through that city, and proclaims that in 40 days God will destroy the city. Then he goes outside the city to sit down and wait and watch what happens. This missionary is so effective that 120,000 people are saved. He sits down outside the, the city and waits to see what God will do. And God, who is merciful and compassion, compassionate, did not destroy them. And he acknowledges that Jonah still has his correct theology in knowing that the Lord was gracious, compassionate, loving, and relenting God. However, he got angry with God that God didn't destroy these wicked people. And Jonah ends up angry. He's angry at God. He gets angry at that worm. And and the story ends that way. And we don't know if Jonah went to the grave angry and bitter or not. But one thing we can learn from this story is that Jonah had no one, no other person to provide missionary member care. Maybe if there would have been someone there to care for him, to help him through his process, to help him walk through these things, maybe it would have came out differently. And so this morning I've titled the message, and you want to call it Missionary Member Care. Which is actually a very needed, and we're learning more about this. Our missionaries, when they come back, they actually are helping us and telling us what we should be doing in order to care for them. They're suggesting that we go and uh, take in some of these seminars to learn how to relate to missionaries, to learn how to debrief them when they come back. And these are like new things to us. You know, we're just eighth grade parochial school graduates, you know. <laughs> and we don't know very much. And we're, we're kind of proud of that sometimes, you know. But our ignorance is, doesn't help out very much. <clears throat> So in the, in the many years that we've been working now, we've we realized that we're still quite new in missions, and we are lacking experience. While there's other missions and missionaries who had lots of experience, and so we can learn from them. One of the things that has happened, to Daniel and Christy Keniston, is that. I feel like they have, in some way, they've been pioneers in going out and trying to win a tribe for Christ amongst our people, amongst our churches. And in a sense, they've set a standard. But, and somehow, they are still in the field, and somehow, they're still serving there. Somehow, they keep on going while we watch. And now, we have been watching other couples who have followed their example, but have not been able to make it through. And we've got quite a few couples like that. Sometimes I wonder what makes the difference. <clears throat> One of the things I believe has something to do with it is, <clears throat> is, the, uh, is laughter. I was preparing to go 
visit the missionaries one time and they, they sent me this box. I mean, it was a good sized box. And they said it's full of medicine. Medicine for the missionaries. Missionaries have, are, are kind of sickly or they are sick and they need lots of medicines. I looked at that box and I'm like, wow, that's a lot of medicine. And then I thought of the scripture that says, laughter doeth good like medicine. Why don't I just let this box at home and go visit them and get them to laugh a bunch? That might be just as good. And as I was preparing to go, the Lord led me to consider stress factors. I think it was in a Christian healthcare newsletter that I was reading and they were emphasizing this, the stress. They said that 80% of America's sicknesses and illnesses are stress-related. Medical doctors agree today that 80% of of our illnesses in America are stress-related. That's pretty high. And so I did some research and study on it, and I found that it's probably true in that many things, many times when someone is really sickly or ill, like our missionaries, or especially missionary wives, it is stress-related. I went online and I found a stress test. And you could, you could click the box if, you, if it applied to your life. And so I clicked the box here and there as I went down through this stress test. And down the bottom was the score. And, and you add up that score. And if that score comes up to 100, you're probably pretty healthy. Or if you're under 100, you're probably pretty healthy. If, the, if your score came up to 200... You're getting to be at a place where it's kind of dangerous. You're allowed to get sick before too long. If your score is up to 300, then you probably are sick or you will imminently be sick. It really helped me to understand the power of stress. I had one of our missionary couples who were there the day before I left. I said, yeah, I want you to do this stress test. In light of when you were in Ghana, take this stress test when you were back there. Put yourself back there and take this test. You know what they, you know what it came out to? About 330. And I began to understand why so many of our missionaries, especially the wives, are sick. Someone did a, someone did a, uh, a stress test to prove their point. They they took couples and husband and wife and they sat them together in this room. Numerous couples and they, they it, this was a medical thing they did and they they, they put IVs on them to put the uh, uh, to be able to take blood at any time from any couple and uh, to test the blood for the uh, ingredients that show stress, whatever it is. I don't know what all the medical names are. Maybe someone here can tell me that. I don't know. But And so they they began these tests with all the couples in a relaxed state. And they'd take the blood, and and sure enough, all all the tests were neutral, right? Then they would introduce conflict between the couples, between husband and wife. Bring up a subject that that would be conflicting to the husband and the wife. And, they, and that as they continued to monitor the stress levels in the blood, 
they saw that immediately when conflict came, the stress levels went right up in each one of them. And these are natural things that our bodies are there to protect us or to help us flee or whatever needs to be done in types of stress. <clears throat> the interesting thing that they found was that the husband's stress level, after about two hours, came back down to normal. The, the woman's stress level continued at a high rate for about two days and then finally came back down slowly. Isn't it interesting? How long does it take your wife to overcome a stressful situation in your relationship? Husbands? How long does it take your wife to get her, come over that? About two days, right? Maybe you don't have any. Great. How long does it take your husband to overcome stress in your relationship? One or two hours, right? Right? More or less? This is what happens with us. If we ever have it. Which we do. We're normal. <clears throat> I began to see the power of stress. Especially in cross-cultural missionaries. You have, <clears throat> when you have a change of job, change of food, change of, of uh, location. All these changes create stress. You put all those together for a missionary, you really have a high stress level. <clears throat> so on that trip I went, I kind of I purposed to go there and see if God would help me to Alleviate stress on the missionaries' lives. <clears throat> we had a, we had a, uh, we have an annual or biannual. We have a uh, missionary retreat where all the missionaries get together for the purpose of just a week of stress-free time and just relaxing. And at that retreat, I, I purpose to uh, to talk about stress because they were stressed out. We had uh, three of the wives, missionary wives, were sick. They were just simply burned out or tired out or something. So what we did, we we had this, we did this, what I what I call the stressors. We 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 identified the stressors. Put a table up front. On the wall back there, and we, we had paper and pencil and paper there, and each missionary was free to come up and write down one stressor on a, on a piece of paper, uh, 8 by 11 piece of paper, and paste it on the wall. Each stressor had its own paper. And it took them a little bit of time to get started, but once it got started, they really got into it. They, it, 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 it enabled them to write things down that they could not easily talk about. They could write something on a piece of paper and put it on the wall and didn't have to explain it. At least not at that time. There was such a, uh, it was a joy, it was a blessing. Even their children came up, the little boys, and they wrote down things like, uh, uh, 
I forget what they said, something about uh, can't go to church every Sunday. That's stress for their boys. Just, they were just free to write down those things. And, and by the time we were done, the wall was filled with different kinds of stressors that they face. Real issues. Then we had one of the missionaries take all these stressors and, and, we, and we discussed it as a group and, and categorized those stressors into three different groups. The first group was stresses that can be eliminated. The next group were stresses that can be minimized. And the next group were stresses which they have to live with. They put in those three categories. We had a lot of fun. It was such a releasing of things in their hearts that they really had, didn't, couldn't talk about. And then once it was up on the board, they were much more relaxed and somebody pointed to this one saying, now, what does this one mean? Or who, who wants to talk about this one? And someone would pipe up and they'd talk about what, why they put that up there. We had a wonderful time. We shared freely. We also laughed a lot. That week was the turnaround point for the one missionary family, especially his wife's health. Missionary member care. We need that. How do we receive missionaries back home? That's what we're looking at today. Missionary member care is the ongoing preparation, equipping, and empowering of missionaries for effective and sustainable ministry and life work. Not just to send them out there, but how to sustain them when they're out there. Many of us have not done well in receiving missionaries back home. Perhaps that's partly because we didn't plan for that. We didn't plan for them to come home. We didn't plan for them to fail. Of course not. Member care is doing whatever it takes within reason to ensure that the workers are cared for and supported by their agency, field leadership, and sending church. Missionary member care. As I was pondering this, I was thinking about it, and I thought, well, now, where in the Bible could I find this principle? Where could I find principles of missionary member care? Well, of course, our first thought is about Jesus. He's our model. He's our Lord. The Bible contains many admonitions to the Christians to care one for another. When asked which was the most important commandment, Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and your neighbor as yourself. Care for your neighbor in the same way you do for yourself. Love one another as I have loved you. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you care one for another. Isn't that really what love means? How can you love someone and not care for them? 
So love and care are, what's that spelling word? Synonymous, that's right. You must have went to school. <clears throat> Parochial school, kids. Love your neighbors yourself. The royal law, James says. Paul, <clears throat> writing to the Thessalonians, says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. This is a general Christian rule. Is to care one for another. This responsibility lies with the church, the home church, leadership, the mission field, mission team, individual supporters, and other people who have an interest and who really do care. Of course, then there's the Lord himself who really cares for us. But sometimes we need some one with flesh and blood to come alongside and encourage us. Those providing member care will seek to develop <clears throat> understanding in areas through ongoing learning, networking, and resources. If you have interest in member care, you will study, you will seek, you will search for, and find resources and learn how to really care for these people. If you really care, and there will be some of you here who, who will take this up and who will carry it on their hearts, and you will care. You'll care enough to spend time to study and find out how to really care for them. <clears throat> Caring for each other is important for everyone, but it is more important for people serving in, in another culture. Those who have no one to care for them are likely to find life very difficult, such as Jonah. <clears throat> I thought of Elijah after the Mount Carmel confrontation and praying for the rain. He was not afraid to confront the people, the 450 prophets, but he, got, he was afraid of that one woman, Jezebel. He ran for his life. Got so discouraged, he wished he would die. Missionaries sometimes come to that same place if there's no one who really cares. What did Jesus do? He ordained the twelve to be with him that he might send them out to preach. He gave them authority over evil spirits and the power to heal. He gave clear instructions what to do, where to go, where not to go, what they should take along, what they should not take along, how to find lodging. He gave lots of clear instructions. There in uh, <clears throat> Mark 10 and uh, Mark 6, Matthew 10 and Luke 9, you can find that. Then he sent them out. Turn with me to Luke chapter 9. We'll look at a few verses here. Luke 9 is <clears throat> one of the clearer ones here. You can find it in Mark and Matthew also. Luke 9, verse 1, he called his 12 disciples, gave them power and authority. Verse 2, he sent them to preach the kingdom of God, to heal, gave them instructions. Verse 6, they departed, went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Then you have a short insert there of Herod the Tetriarch. Go down to verse 10. Look at verse 10 carefully. And the apostles 
when they were returned, told him all that they had done. And he took them and went aside privately into a desert place belonging to the city called Bethesda. One verse here has a lot of information. What do you see in this verse? I don't know how long the disciples had been, had been out there preaching. I don't know how far they went, but they, they went into the cities of Israel or the Jewish uh, of Israel there. And that's where they were preaching. Then they came back. And what specific things do you see that Jesus did here? Anyone? He took them aside. Okay, very good. What else? He gave them a chance to talk. Do you think that's important? Why is that important? It shows that you are interested in them. You know what happens so often? Missionary comes back and you really try to give him some attention. You'll listen to his story for five or ten minutes maybe and, and uh, then you talk about what you talk about. Your business, your farm, your, right? That really is easy to happen. And he feels like you don't really care. That's very often it happens. <clears throat> what else did Jesus do here? He, they told him all that he had done. In other words, he listened to them. An important part, he listened to them. Then he took them aside privately. Do you think they needed that? Do you think Jesus recognized that they needed time? Of rest. Evidently. He took them aside. And. <clears throat> doesn't look like they got much rest though. For the, If you keep reading you'll see what happened next. Go to <clears throat> Luke chapter 10. Here's where Jesus appointed 70 others. And sent them out two by two. Before his face in every city and place. Whither himself would come. Again he gives clear instructions. Along list a long bunch of verses there, what they should do, what to expect, what would happen, and warning them that they would not be accepted, you know, they might be driven out, and all those type of things. He was clear with them. What happened when they returned? Verse 17. And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. What do you see happening here? Did Jesus listen to them again? He did. Were they excited? They were. And what was Jesus' response? Rejoice, not... uh, Verse 20... In this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. They were all excited. They were telling stories. They were just unloading and sharing what God had done. The modern word for that is called debriefing. Is it necessary to debrief the missionary? Well, I guess that's what they say we should do, so... We sent Rodney to Rodney and his wife Dawn to a, a seminar for a week to learn how to 
relate to the missionaries coming home. To learn how to debrief the people. Missionaries were saying, we just kind of came home and no one, no one sat down and really talked to us about the specific things. Yes, people were glad to invite us over and, and talk and so forth, but the mission board didn't seem to really care enough to sit down and take time to really hear the in-depth heart or the struggles we had and to help us walk through them. What happens when your missionary's house gets invaded by robbers? They rob you at gunpoint with knives. How do you work through that? You just bottle up inside and don't talk about it? Is that good? That's not good. You need to be able, you should actually send someone to the field at a time like that to help them really walk through it. Difficult times. What about the New Testament? What about Paul? Paul, the first missionary to the Gentiles, next to Peter, you might say. Peter went to Cornelius, but Paul was really sent cross-culturally. He was a cross-cultural missionary. 2 Corinthians 11 speaks about the difficulties he had. Worked hard, labored, toiled, imprisoned repeatedly, beaten, lashed, stoned, constantly on the move, shipwrecked, a night in the sea, a danger from his own countrymen, danger in the city, danger in the country, danger from false brethren, goes without sleep, hungry, thirsty, cold, lack clothing, pressure of the concern for the churches. Paul obviously needed member care. And he got it. He did. He got member care. He specifically mentions five people who were member care providers for him. They were Stephanus, Titus, Epaphroditus, Mark, and Timothy. In, In 1 Corinthians 16, Paul... Near the end of his first letter to the church at Corinth, Paul mentioned that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia. <clears throat> Stephanus and his family were not the only were not <clears throat> only the first ones to become Christians in Corinth, but also they were some of the very few baptized by Paul himself. Paul noted that the members of this family had devoted themselves to the service of the saints. This family had devoted themselves to the service. Or may I say, care of the saints. When the church sent people to do missionary member care, when the Corinthian church sent people to do missionary member care, they sent some of the most experienced and valuable members. Members who were really caring in the home church, they were the ones that were chosen to go. Paul writes, I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you. For they refreshed my spirit and yours also. 1 Corinthians 16, 17, 18. Note that in this early missionary member care visit, they brought what was needed and they refreshed the spirits of those serving cross-culturally. They cared. Today in our supersonic world, we can go halfway around the world in 24 hours. 
we have it quite easy to go visit the missionaries, don't we? We really do. Back those days, they were, went by boat or walk or land and took months to go. Sometimes. <clears throat> when writing to, to the church at Corinth again, Paul mentioned his need for missionary member care, saying, When we came into Macedonia, this body of ours had no rest. We were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside. Fears within. This is in 2 Corinthians 7, 5. Many missionaries today could write this passage about themselves because serving God cross-culturally has changed very little. Again, the church at Corinth sent someone to provide missionary member care. They sent Titus, a good friend and co-worker of Paul himself. Titus had served with Paul and was a pastor at the church in Crete. Paul wrote, But God who comforts the downcast comforts us by the coming of Titus, not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Paul had some missionary member care. <clears throat> the church of Philippi, further north of Macedonia, realized that Paul was in need of member care. They sent Epaphroditus on a member care trip to see Paul. Of course, we can, we're gathering this in light of this, this need. <clears throat> Paul writes back in Philippians 2.25, I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. Church of Philippi sent Epaphroditus, to go and meet and minister to Paul's needs and care for him. <clears throat> Paul did not hesitate to ask for help. When he felt deserted and had few friends nearby, he wrote to Timothy saying, Do your best to come to me quickly. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he's helpful to me in the ministry. Finally, he said, Timothy, bring, my, bring the coat and the scrolls. Paul recognized his need for missionary member care and he felt free to ask for it from people whom he knew and trusted. And he accepted it graciously when it came and thanked both those who came to bring it, to meet his need, and those who made it possible for him, for that person to bring it. <clears throat> Why, why do they need missionary member care? Is their work harder and more difficult than the work at home? One of the missionaries I asked about this, in light of this uh, coming here this morning, I, got, I asked him, I said, what did you experience when you went home on your furlough? And they were very glad to talk. They just really kind of dumped out of what, what they experienced when they went home <clears throat> on furlough. One of the things was that uh, one of the church people or friends or someone, as they were visiting together, <clears throat> told them, now, I, I want you to realize that we're on the front lines here at home too. There's, you know, don't just think you're the only ones on the front line. We're on the front lines too. Well, how do you think that missionary felt? 
Does this sound like someone who is interested to really hear and really care? It doesn't. But those are the realities. Those things happen again and again in many different ways. We must recognize that we all understand as Christians that there is a war between good and evil. We're in a battle. There's principalities and powers. And when you go out there into such a dark place, you become the object, the target. And you really do need care. Not only do you need care, you need support. You need prayer support. There's so much to be done. And it's possible that someone who's at home and carries the missionaries on their hearts, really cares for them, prays for them, Actually, I believe we'll have the similar rewards that the missionaries will have if they, if they really enter into it. <clears throat> Jesus was not just kidding when he told the disciples, I send you out as sheep among wolves. That's the reality of it. He said it specifically to those he was sending out. Are there wolves in our flocks here at home? Well, Paul says they, they will come in, right? But it's quite different when you're out there by yourself. I send you as sheep among wolves. The Great Commission is carried out by the whole church. Some go. Some stay. Some are out in the front. Some are behind. But everyone can take part in this battle. Every single Christian has a responsibility to take part, to, to, to help out, to support, to give financially or in whatever way, uh, pray. <clears throat> Jesus said they'll flog you. They'll arrest you. They'll betray you. All men will hate you. You'll be persecuted, and so forth. This is the reality of it. When we think of people serving in the physical wars of the nations, whenever a soldier gets wounded and comes home, How is he received when he comes back? He's received like a hero. Do you think they interrogate him or criticize him for what he should have done instead? Do you think that you have any understanding of what he went through? Think about that. How could you, how could I, here in America, in a place of peace and wealth and all those type of things, have any understanding of what that soldier would have went through on the front lines? It's very, very difficult. But yet I find it so easy to criticize, 
or to try to give advice or to, you know, it can be painful. One of our missionaries back on the furlough, they were talking excitedly about the work and, and, uh, you know, the people suddenly kind of got quiet and like, they, they said a bad word or something. And they realized that, that the offense was the word culture. Somehow culture is a bad word in the church. And so the missionary had to learn to talk about these things and find a different way of expressing, explaining it because the word culture was an offense to somebody. How does that feel? Just as those soldiers, when they come back, they need care. They might have wounds physically. They might be wounded emotionally. But we're in a spiritual battle. And the missionaries also have lots of needs that needed that should be met emotional physical mental and spiritual <clears throat> the missionaries as they face life over there <clears throat> the wolves of the missionary life they might be malaria or dengue fever parasites depression anxiety conflict burnout grief temptations Assault, robberies, violent death of a friend, demonic forces. They really need someone to stand beside them. When soldiers come back from the front, they're expected and allowed to report that the battle was terrible. That they were anxious. They did get discouraged. And the conflict was awful. Missionaries are on the front line of a spiritual war between the powers of good and evil. And their battles are just as real or more real. Soldiers are expected to report the war was awful and that they're struggling. But similar comments from returning missionaries may, may be perceived as emotional or spiritual weakness or inadequate faith. Well, if you just had more faith, things would have been different. Or if you, know, if you would just believe God, you wouldn't be sick. How cruel do you think that feels? Such missionaries need even more member care during which they can share their inner battles. Excuse me. Uh, Soldiers are expected to be allowed to share about those things, but returning missionaries often are not understood. However, some missionaries' response to that may be that they actually believe that they are emotionally unstable or have a spiritual weakness or are inadequate in their faith. They may actually believe that. They really need member care, special member care. They might just internalize it and remain silent. And if we're, if we're not really keen or tuned in, we'll just think they're doing okay. The military now has medical and psychological help to care for their wounded. 
Christians must not shoot their wounded missionaries. Engaged in spiritual battle in strange cultures far from family, friends, community, and church, missionaries are often very lonely. <clears throat> With social support absent, emotional needs unmet, living in a strange culture, Satan takes advantage of those things. In John 16, 1, Jesus warned the disciples, said, These things have I spoken unto you that, <clears throat> that you should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues. The time comes that whosoever kills you think they're doing God's service. And these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things have I told you that when the time shall come, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning because I was with you. said, I'm telling these things to you not just to, not to scare you, but to make you aware that when they do happen, that you will remember that I told you about them. These are realities. <clears throat> A few practical things here. <clears throat> Mission leaders need to learn how to really listen, take time, and allow the missionaries to talk about their experiences. <clears throat> We've recently uh, put that in place, and there's uh, one or two on the mission board that when the missionaries come back, whether on furlough or back to stay, that they will have a debriefing. At least one, maybe two. Time to sit down and let them share and ask questions, and know how to ask the right questions. <clears throat> it's also important that the church, families and friends, understand that you probably don't understand the missionaries. Prepare yourselves with the fact that you don't understand them. And before you become critical or find fault with them, give them enough of time to at least somewhat settle in. Give them at least four months before you find fault with them. Realize that they may be going through emotional trauma just coming back. <clears throat> in... Uh, <clears throat> They have spent years. When they first left here, they spent years trying to bridge that cultural gap to come to a place where they can understand their host culture. That, was one of, that has to be one of their goals. It has been one of their goals. How do you bridge this how do I leave my culture and enter into another one? <clears throat> I remember the day when I first, when my eyes were first opened to the fact that I grew up in a very strange culture. It was when I was learning about other cultures in a session 
And suddenly my eyes were opened up to my strange culture that I grew up in. That was amazing. Up to that point, my culture was the best. It was the only one I knew. And everything else was just weird or odd or different. And I remember asking a Ghanaian young man, why, why do you do it like that? And he just kind of looked at me and he says, that's the way we've always done it. And I was like, just, you know, that's really stupid. But once I looked back on my own culture, I remember the tourists coming by and saying, why do you drive horse and buggy? Right? You know what my answer was? We've always done it that way. Now, why did I say that? Why didn't that young man explain to me why they did it that way? You know why? Because he knew that if he would go into a long explanation of why it's that way, that I still wouldn't understand. And he was right. I knew that I could tell that tourist, I could try to give a long explanation as to why we drive horse and buggy, and when I'd be finished telling him all about it, he would still shake his head and not understand. I knew that. And that's why I just said, well, that's the way we've always done it. That was an easy, pat answer. That's what I'm talking about. These people have taken years to try to cross this cultural gap to get down on their level where they can understand the people and talk to them heart to heart. And, in, and so much so, if, if they cross that bridge, there's some sense of the culture they come from that they leave behind. And now they're going to have to cross this bridge the other direction. And it may be just as hard or harder for them. That's hard for you to believe. Hard for me to really grasp that, but that's what I'm told. <clears throat> we have, uh, Chan and Rebecca Leiby have spent about 10 years in the village trying to win a tribe to Christ, right? Almost died doing it. And to this day, Rebecca is not well. She's not well. And they are struggling continually. They've been back for a year now. And they are still struggling emotionally, trying to wrap their minds around the fact that they, quote, failed. No, they didn't fail. But that's what the, tempta- that's what the tempter tells them. You failed. You're no good. Look at you. One or two converts and they went back to Islam. You wasted your time. Those are the kind of things that they're bombarded with. Do they need member care? Absolutely. He said that there's almost once every week or every two weeks, him and his wife, they just break down and have a good cry over what they're going through. And what are they really going through? They're going through the emotional, disconcerting 
unfamiliarity of coming back into their culture and trying to fit in again. While dealing with what's behind, what they've had for ten years, dealing with that. How do they... So when they left the field, they left for a furlough, hoping to be able to come back in six or eight months. And it's still not closed. They want to go back and have a closure this coming spring, winter or spring. It's not closed in their hearts. Their, their hearts are still open and bleeding. They're living in a rented house. They're using mission furniture. Yes, it's a nice place, but it's not their own. Tanner related to me how they were going. They were out yard sailing. And his wife saw this lovely uh, couch. Oh, Tanner, that's just what we need for our living room. Oh, but honey, we already have two in our house. But Tanner, it's not ours. That's the reality of it. They're trying to deal with their emotional makeup of who they are. And I have to look at that. And when they open their heart a little bit and let a little bit like that out, it helps helps me to understand that I don't really understand. I don't understand what they're going through. I really can't feel very well for them. I would encourage you as a church, put, to, put a team together. Put a care team together. A handful of people or couples who will take the lead and really care for them when they come back. Not just get a nice house for them and all so forth, but time. Hold off any criticism till months later. Be swift to hear, slow to speak. <clears throat> Show some real compassion. Recognize they have come back from the front lines and the hard life they've lived <clears throat> and recognize that you don't understand how hard it really was. Missionaries often feel very lonely in the, coming back to home church. <clears throat> the missionaries themselves have changed. So much. Their ideas have changed. Their lifestyle has changed. Their way of communicating has changed. Almost everything about them has changed. But they're remembering the lovely time they had in the home church before they left. They remember the preachers. They remember the families. They remember the children. They remember their place they had in the church. They remember what it was like to be there. They were a part of them. That's what they remember. How can they fit back into this congregation now? There might, there's actually a few faces that they're familiar with, right? Maybe half the congregation. I don't know. It's a different location. A lot of different people. The little children are now like this. I tell you, everything is different. And they're trying to fit in. And it's going to be 
a challenge. It's going to be a challenge. The meeting house, the different place, different leaders, a lot of things has changed. <clears throat> we're, we're learning how to ask questions, learning to study for their sake, to become more effective, to minister to them. <clears throat> We're doing all that we can to shield them from the problems at home. If we think that the missionaries on the field that we've sent out are not affected by the problems in the home church, we should rethink it. I have seen such direct connections. The same kind of spirit that attacks the home church, also attacks the missionaries on the field. We're in a spiritual battle. Unity at home is paramount. If there's disunity at the home base, this has a very direct effect on the work in the field. If there's criticism at the home church, there'll be criticism on the field. If there's a spirit of blessing and revival in the home church, there'll be a spirit of blessing and revival at the field too. That lays the responsibility pretty heavy on us, doesn't it? I think so. One of the young couples, I was asking them about some of the things on the field That affected them. The wife shared that she would carry offenses for her husband. She would see her husband get misused or misunderstood or something and she would get offended for him. Which would take her down. She relates how that she would give it her best to get up in the morning and think today I'm going to, I'm going to make it today. And she had entered the new day. She was emotionally was about burned out. Enter the new day and take one look at that pile of wash and sink. It was too much. What are some of the symptoms of burnout? I think some of you have been reading a book on burnout, right? <clears throat> This one, one family from Peru spent about eight years down there. They came back and uh, they were burned out. In fact, I knew they were burned out before they left the last time. And they went and spent two or three more years there in the high Andes mountains in the cold. I just, I would have such a hard time there. They came back and they're under this condemnation and guilt, thinking that they've failed or done something wrong. And maybe I have some sin in my life that if, if, if you could just dig that sin out, I could repent of it and then we could go on. That would be so nice. That would be so simple. 
Sins are very easy to repent of and get rid of, right? But when there's emotional breakdown, it, it will take years. This couple came and sat down. We visited. We talked. And, and uh, <clears throat> I looked at them and I said, it's going to be five years before you're going to be back to normal again. They just were shocked. I didn't want them to, <clears throat> to not get a, a real picture of where they are at. They were so badly burned out. This summer I met him. He came up to me with a smile on his face. He said, it's five years. Remember what you told us? I said, no, I don't remember. You told us it would be five years before we'd get back to normal life again. I said, I don't remember that. Yeah, he said, that's what you told us. I said, are you back to normal life? He said, almost. There are still days, he said, that my wife and I will have a, a refreshment, or not a refreshment, but we'll have a vision of our failure and our discouragement. And we actually almost go back down. But we don't stay down as long as we used to. We get right back up and we go again. In some sense, I feel some responsibility to Tim and Cheryl. I feel like we have lifted up this winning a tribe to Christ so high that... Yes, by God's grace, inspired young couples to give it all they have. To go out there and labor for the kingdom. And they've gone and they've done it. But I could count at least six or seven young couples about their age who are emotionally burned out. Village ministry is so very difficult. And you think about putting a young couple into a village place like that. Now, some of us who grew up without electricity, that would be a great help. We would know how to live without electricity. But someone who didn't grow up without it, it's difficult. Take all the stressors that that are laid upon a missionary family, a young couple, The young man went when he was single. She went when she was single. And they did well. Now they're married with visions and dreams. And they step into it. And just add up the stress level. And then you figure out, why does the woman get sick? Emotionally spent. It really does make sense. We have recognize that our ideals and our goals were very high and we are purposing not to allow that to happen again if we can. Somehow, Daniel and Christy have weathered it. One of the things that they do is they laugh a lot. They really do. In fact, they're sent to, they have, usually have one night a week where they have fun night. 
with the sent two students to have one night of for fun night. You might think that's carnal. But it really is necessary. And they were telling me about the fun one of the fun things they did just recently. I laughed when I heard it. But this laughter that they have, you, you, you're all stressed out, you're all tension, your, your life is just full of things in the village. You come back out to a place of safety, may I say, and relaxation, and it takes a while for our physical bodies to relax enough to be normal. It takes even longer for our emotional being to relax. They were telling this little story. These two girls, they did a skit. The one girl is an African girl. She's sweeping the compound in the morning like they do. And she's chewing on a chewing stick. You know what a chewing stick is? It's their toothbrush, right? It's a, a tree that has chlorine or chloride in it. And it actually is a good toothbrush. They chew on it make it like a little stick that they brush their teeth with. Works very nice. They've done it for thousands of years. So she's sweeping her compound. These two girls did this skit. And this other American lady gets off the bus and she's all, you know, prissy and this dirty place. And she says, I can't find a place to brush my teeth. Oh, I haven't brushed my teeth for a long time. Where can I brush my teeth? And this lady's sweeping her compound, you know. And, and she begins, to, this African lady tells the other one about the chewing stick. Well, it's been around for thousands of years. You know, thousands of people all around the world use the chewing sticks. So why do you need a toothbrush? And this American lady gets all into it, and she's like, oh, are they expensive? Oh, no, they're real cheap, you know, a penny a piece or so. Well, where can I buy them? Well, you can buy them at the market. Oh, I I want to take a tote pool back home. And this African African woman says, or you can buy them at (laughs) Amazon.com. But it helps them to laugh. It helps them to relax. It helps them to release the stress of living in a village. So, my encouragement to you, I hope that you've gained a little bit this morning. Understand that you probably don't understand. Listen well. Be slow to speak. Swift to hear. And do find a few people in the congregation who, who, you, who actually will really care. This one missionary said that this, they, they felt very lonely in the church. One of the young ladies came and listened again and again and again. And ended up becoming a friend. Joe was her best friend during their furlough time. How did she get there? Because she took the time to listen and really care. Now, I know you can't all do that, but I would that God would raise one or two people who would get close enough that they feel safe to open their heart and really share out of their lives. Otherwise, they could bottle it up And do you think they'll stay here if they don't get care? 
if they just don't fit, it's not going to be good for them. But I believe that you as a congregation can learn. Use it as an opportunity to learn. Because this is a very great need amongst all missions. And especially, may I say the Anabaptist missions. The great need. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we so desire to walk in your ways. And you've told us to care one for another. Told us to love one another. How to demonstrate that care and that love? Without your spirit is impossible. But by the spirit of God, we shall be able to meet the needs of those who have served on the foreign field cross-culturally. Help us, Lord, to welcome them back, to make them feel at home, and to really care for their souls. Bless this congregation with that, Lord. Fill them with joy to receive them back. Help them to listen carefully. Help them to spare their critical thoughts till later on, Lord. And I pray that you would help them to find something worthwhile doing when they're back here. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for inviting me to this challenge. One thing I thought about is that they, they will need something to do also after a couple of weeks or months. They've been giving and giving and giving. They've been in ministry full time. Now that's all gone. That can be a very lonely part itself. So somehow may God give you the grace to really care. Be that example for all of us. We'd like to watch and learn from you guys too. Thank you.